Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do. I want to encourage you to open them to 1 Samuel chapter 20. 1 Samuel chapter 20. Uh, we're going to look at verses uh, 1 through 17 this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 20. As you're finding your place in God's Word there, I want to welcome all those who are joining us via our live stream. Grateful for each and every one of you. Also, Reach Church DeSoto, the venue service meeting right down the hall. Uh, excited for Reach Church DeSoto. This evening, they'll be uh, ordaining Pastor uh, Ryan Schatzer. Uh, we are affirming the call that God has placed on his life. It's a special time, and so we're looking forward to being out there. If you want to join us, we'd love to have you. So you come out, 5 p.m., Reach Church DeSoto. Um, it'll, be an, it'll be an incredibly special time as uh, we challenge him on the basis of God's word and we pray over him. It's always a sweet time, uh, and I know it'll be a blessing to you if you're able to make it. Also, this week, we have a couple of neat opportunities. Tuesday night, we have our men's worship night uh, right here at Lenexa Baptist Church, and Pastor Ryan McDaniel from Reach Church DeSoto will be bringing the challenge to the men. Uh, you'll be challenged in a high way. Uh, to walk according to God's ways. You'll be blessed to be there. There'll be worship. It's gonna be a fun time together. We encourage you to register for that. And then on Thursday evening, uh, the women will have their worship night dwell here at Lenexa Baptist Church also. And uh, Monty Sheridan, a great Bible teacher, will be uh, challenging the women and they're gonna be looking also at a missions opportunity. We reach Church Paola coming up and the launching of that campus. And you'll be blessed, ladies, if you're there. Uh, again, Men and women, please register. It helps us to know uh, how much to prepare for and to be ready for those who come. So please, if you would, go online this afternoon, register, be here. Uh, you'll be blessed. We come to 1 Samuel uh, 20, and we continue to see the relationship between Jonathan and David and, and the power of just having a good friend who's standing with you uh, when the world around you seems to be falling. And so we're gonna see just a, a, a beautiful friendship and what it means when you're in a position where you feel like you're in isolation, you feel lonely, what it means to have a brother or sister in Christ who comes alongside you and says, I'm with you. Aren't those good words, I am with you? It's good to hear those things. We hear them from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as he commissions us. We hear it in this beautiful name, Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, but it is also good to have friends who say, I'm with you. We'll see that in Jonathan David. We'll also see a picture of a covenantal relationship, covenant friendship. Uh, there's a lot of covenant language in this chapter, and we're going to see that in the relationship between Jonathan and David. But more than that, I think we're going to get a picture of what it means to be in covenant with God through faith in Jesus Christ, what that looks like, and we'll see it played out in, in, in Jonathan and his covenantal friendship uh, with David. So as we go to God's word in prayer, I'm going to ask Ryan to come up. Ryan, he told me this morning, I'm ready to pray. And whenever Ryan says he's ready to pray, he's a prayer warrior and you go with it. Spirit, God is moving. And so I said, Ryan, you come up and you pray for us. So Ryan's going to pray for us yes. as we prepare to go into God's word. So Ryan, you pray, brother. <laughs> Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look into your word. We thank you for Ryan and him praying for us. And, and Lord, we just ask you to speak to us. Um, all of us that are here, we need to hear your voice today in your word. And so I pray that you help us to lay aside any distractions. Prevent us from uh, looking into these words and thinking about somebody else. But God, help us to look into our own hearts and what it means to be faithful to you, what it means for you to be faithful to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, brother. Well, let's look together, beginning of verse 1 of 1 Samuel 20. 
Verse one, it says, then David fled from Naoth into Ramah and came and said to Jonathan, what have I done? What is my iniquity and what is my sin before your father that he is seeking my life? It's interesting here, Jonathan or David will go to meet up with Jonathan and it was a pretty risky move on his part. He just escaped from Saul, escaped out of the window of his house and you would think at this point he's, he'd be running and, and he wouldn't be looking back, putting as much distance between him and Saul as he possibly could. Yet what we see here is in many ways he'll go back. He'll put himself in, in, in a lot of ways enemy territory to meet up with his good friend Jonathan. What we see here is there is a need on David's behalf to have a friend who's with him. And uh, we all know what a blessing that is when we go through the trials of life to have somebody who's with us who, who can be, uh, demonstrate the faithfulness of God in our life. And so he just longs. There's a covenantal relationship between the two of them and he wants to meet up with, uh, with Jonathan. There's a lot of water under the bridge though too since the last time they met. A lot has happened since the last time that Jonathan and David were together. You'll remember the last time Jonathan had said, I'll go to my father, I'll uh, uh, he's gonna try to kill you. Uh, he makes that known to his cabinet and it'll be Jonathan who steps up and says to his dad, uh, don't, please, please don't harm David. He's innocent, he hadn't done anything wrong. And you remember that's when Saul makes a vow, won't harm him, no harm will come uh, uh, to David. We're gonna yet see very quickly, or we already saw very quickly how that would not be true. He'll lie and he'll attempt to take David's life. But that was the commitment that Saul made to Jonathan. And it appears that Jonathan went on about his way to whatever battle or whatever army he was serving in. And, uh, and he has no idea, or at least it appears on the basis of this text, he doesn't know exactly what's happened between David and his dad, Saul. And so he shows up here, and there's David. A lot's occurred. And David immediately meets up with Jonathan. He says, what's the deal? Your dad's trying to kill me. What have I done? I've done nothing wrong. And it's hard, these passages, when we come to God's word, these narrative stories, when you hear a person or you read a person and their words spoken to another individual, it's hard to interpret them because we cannot hear the inflection in their voice. It's one of the reasons I don't like emails and I don't like text messages because you can't hear inflection. You ever been offended by somebody's text messages? And they said, I didn't ever mean that at all, but you read it in a certain way. And the problem is you can't hear the inflection in their voice. And, and we can't hear the inflection in David's voice. And there's some who will say that, that he's coming to Jonathan out of frustration. What is the deal? Your dad said he wasn't gonna harm me. He vowed to you. I'm mad about it. What's going on? I don't really think that's the case at all. I think we just have, the, uh, have an individual here in David coming up uh, to Jonathan who is his friend, who, who is covenant with him in a, in a covenant of friendship. And he's just venting. He's sharing his heart. I read this as David coming to Jonathan and say, Jonathan, I don't know what's going on here. I'm not, I'm not trying to usurp your dad's authority. I'm not trying to harm him. In fact, I've sought to be faithful to him, and that'll be the story of David's life. Never once will he try to overcome Saul. In fact, he's gonna have two occasions when he could have killed him. He's not gonna do it because he'll be faithful to God's king, the one that God has established as king. He'll seek to be faithful. So he's, saying, he's not saying I'm sinless. He's not saying I've never sinned. What he's saying is best to my knowledge in relationship to your dad. I'm not, I'm not doing anything wrong here. I'm just trying, trying to be faithful. And yet the more faithful I am, the more it seems like this guy hates me. And uh, it's good. We, we need, listen, we need friends in our lives that we can go and just vent to sometimes. Share with them what's on our heart and, and not... I get a judgmental response back from them, but just somebody to share a heart with. And 
And so here is David going and kind of sharing with Jonathan. He needs friendship. He's isolated. He's alone. He wants the security of a friend who he knows cares about him. And so he just shares with him what's on his heart. Well, then you see the, the response of Jonathan. And he, Jonathan said to him, far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. So why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. And we see here, Jonathan really doesn't want to believe this. And I think all of us, we want to think the best of our parents. We want to think the best. And so Jonathan, it's hard to conceive that his dad would want to kill this man who's done nothing wrong but bring blessing to the nation. And he, so he just, he wants to think the best of his dad. And he, he's saying to Dave, that can't be true. Surely my dad wouldn't behave that way. Well, verse three, yet David vowed again, saying, your father knows well that I have found favor in your sight. And he said, don't let Jonathan know this or he'll be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and your soul lives, there's hardly a step between me and death. David says to Jonathan, listen, there's a reason he's not telling you everything. He's not telling you everything because he knows how you'll respond. He knows that you and I are friends. He's already seen how you stood in my defense when push came to shove and we all know it's true. If there's something, somebody in our life that, that we might avoid their advice because we already know what they're gonna say, right? We don't, we don't wanna hear it. We've determined in our heart what we're going to do and we know if we go ask that person, they're gonna tell us what we have already, something that's against what we've already decided and we don't want their opinion. Well, that, that's what's going on with Saul. He's not going to ask Jonathan because he knows how Jonathan will respond and he's already determined in his heart that he's going to kill David whether his son likes it or not. And so David says, he's not gonna tell you and here's what else. He says, the fact of the matter is, regardless of what you want to believe about your dad, once you've had two spears past your head, uh, it's kind of become evident that the guy wants to kill me. And so he says to Jonathan, listen, you may not want to believe this, but your dad is trying to kill me. And I don't know if I'm going to make it another day. When I read these words of David, and there's so much about this text, the more I read it, every time I read it, I feel like there's something more that I haven't discovered. And isn't that the great thing about God's word? No matter how long you study it, you, you'll never plumb the depths of all that God wants to say. But even as I was reading it this morning again, I thought you, you read that last part of, of verse three, there's hardly a step between me and death. David is saying, I, I think I'm gonna die. I think there's part of David that's now beginning to wonder if he'll ever be king. But I'm wondering, when, as I read this this morning, the, the thought that goes through my head is, where's the David who stood before Goliath? <laughs> that David didn't seem to be afraid of anybody. In fact, where's the David who said, when, when I faced a lion or a bear, God always protected me? You don't see that in David here. And, and I don't know, but this is what spoke to me. Isn't it good to know that even great men and women of faith can find themselves in circumstances and situations that can cause them to go weak in their faith? Um, you remember Elijah, the great battle over the, the prophets of Baal at Carmel, and then the next day he's scared of Jezebel. I'm like, you just won this great victory. Why would you be scared of anybody? And yet the fact of the matter is we can find ourselves in situations where we become physically exhausted. 
David is an outlaw. He's on the run. He's probably sleeping in secret places that are very uncomfortable for fear of death. He hasn't gotten any rest. The situation is bad. And in a place of physical just exhaustion and probably spiritual exhaustion, he finds himself in a place where he's afraid he's going to die. And so he says, Jonathan, I, 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 don't, I don't know if I'm gonna live another day. I don't know if I'm gonna take another step. And listen to what Jonathan says in verse four. Then Jonathan said to David, whatever you say, I'll do for you. Now that's friendship. He, I, I think Jonathan sees David pour out his heart And he hears the testimony of David, and, and he doesn't say to David, David, well, that, let me pray about this, all right? Let me think about this for a few days and weigh it in my mind. He just immediately goes all in and says, whatever you say, David, whatever you need, I'm here for you. And the more I study Jonathan, the more I'm amazed by this man. At this point, if it wasn't already apparent, Jonathan has gone all in with the Lord's anointed. He has said that this is God's man. He is God's anointed. And at this moment, I'm making a clear declaration that whatever it costs me, even if it means a relationship with my own father, David, you need to know this, I stand with you. I stand with the Lord's anointed. I wrote out on the side of my Bible, right outside of that verse, I wrote Philippians 3, where Paul says, whatever things were gained to me, I now count as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. Jonathan is saying, listen, even it costs me my dad, you're the Lord's anointed and I stand with you. Whatever you need, you just say the word and I'm there. Powerful picture of our commitment that we make to Christ when we come to know him. Christ calls us to go all in. And it always costs. Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow me, let him take up his cross, deny himself and follow me. And we see a picture of that in Jonathan and his allegiance to God's anointed and then in verse five, so and David said to Jonathan, behold, tomorrow's the new moon. So there, and David said, we're gonna put a little plan together in order that you might, we might really discern where uh, your dad stands. And so he says, tomorrow's the new moon and I ought to sit down to eat with the king. So there's this new moon festival. It's, this is not a worship of creation. The Israelites, uh, first, first of every day they offered sacrifice. First of every week they offered sacrifice. And even with the changing of the moons, which is what? The changing of the seasons. And so with the changing of the seasons, they would have a time of celebration and commit themselves again unto the Lord. And God said to the people of Israel, you're never gonna forget that I give you everything. And so God says, a regular basis, you're gonna look to me and be grateful. And so the changing of the seasons, and this would have been a time of celebration and an opportunity to make sacrifice. He said, I ought to be there, but let me go that I may hide myself in the field until the third evening. In verse six, if your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, because it's the yearly sacrifice there for the whole family. If he says it's good, your servant will be safe. But if he's very angry, know that he has decided on evil. So David says, uh, I should be there. David was a man who was consistent. He was faithful. 
If he says he's going to be somewhere, he's going to be there. David was not the type of guy you're supposed to be at dinner in the evenings and sometimes would show up and other times he wouldn't be there. It's indicated by the fact that there's this assumption that he won't be there and he'll be missed. What a good picture for us. Let us be men and women of consistency. Men and women that people can count on. And when we say we'll be there, we're expected to be there. We'll be there. We'll be on time. You could set your watch by David's consistency in his life. So he knows I'm not going to be there and I will be missed. Everybody's going to know something's not right. Because if David's not here, something must be going on. And so you're to say to him, when he misses me, when he asks, where is David? You're to say to him that that he went to Bethlehem to offer sacrifice with his family. And it also tells us something about David's family, that they were old school, that they they loved the Lord and they would go and offer sacrifice. And so they say, tell him I've gone to offer sacrifice in, in Bethlehem. And if he says, that's good, you know I'm safe. But if he gets angry, you'll know that he intends evil towards me. If he gets mad, see, because there, be, there would be no ordinary reason for Saul to get mad about him going and offering sacrifice with his family in Bethlehem. And what I really think that David is saying to Jonathan and using this as the test, he's demonstrating to Jonathan, if he gets angry about me going and worshiping God with my family, not only do you know where he stands with me, you're going to have a good idea where he stands with God. And that's the bigger issue. Is this a man who trusts God and will love his servants or is this a man who is disobedient towards God and will be harmful to his servants? So if he gets angry... Saul, then you'll have your answer. You'll know where your father stands. Then look at verse eight. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant. I said there's a lot of covenant relation, uh, language used in this chapter. That word kindly, deal kindly. The root word is the Hebrew word kesed. It's a word we find in relationship to God's faithful, loyal, loving kindness to his people. In fact, it's hard to get a good translation or English translation of the word kesed. We can't even encapsulate it in one single word. Go today, this afternoon, and try to find a definition of kesed, and it will combine a whole lot of words. There's no way we can, t- can contain it. It demonstrates the loyal, loving, faithful kindness of God, and that alone doesn't even encapsulate it. And what he's saying to Jonathan, would you be faithful to me in the way that God is faithful to me? Would you deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord, with you, a covenant like the Lord with you. But if there is iniquity in me, put me to death yourself, for why then should you bring me to your father? And David says, listen, if I'm guilty, he's asking his good friend, if you find guilt in me, if I've been unfaithful to God, if I've been unfaithful to God's king, if I've been unfaithful, if I'm guilty in this, don't put yourself in a bad spot, just kill me. If I'm guilty, then just do what your dad wants to do and put me to death. I will not, what David is saying to Jonathan, I'm not gonna ask you to stick your neck out for me if I'm guilty. And that's what a good friend does. They say to a friend, listen, you be honest with me here. If I'm in the wrong, let me know if you really care about me. And so David says to Jonathan, you tell me if I'm wrong. And if I'm wrong, I deserve to die. Well, look at what Jonathan says in verse nine. Jonathan said, far be it from you, meaning you're not gonna die. For I should 
Uh, For if I should indeed learn that evil has been decided by my Father to come upon you, then would I not tell you about it? What Jonathan is saying to David, and again, this is, it's so hard for us to grasp uh, the level of commitment that Jonathan is demonstrating to, to David as the Lord's anointed. He, he's saying to David, listen, if, if you're not going to die, and if I have learned that my dad is trying to kill you, David, you need to understand something. I'll stand for you. I'm with you. Now, remember, we've talked about this a lot, but the person that David was the greatest threat to was Jonathan. You remember when when Samuel pronounces judgment upon King Saul for his disobedience to God, he doesn't even really say that you're gonna die, although Saul will. He says that you won't have a dynasty. He says it's gonna end with you that your, your kingdom's not gonna extend beyond your life. When you're done, it's all over. And so what does that mean? That means he's saying to him, your son Jonathan will not be king. And I think that the, the initial uh, uh, force of, of Saul's rejection of that is, I want my son to be king. Uh, God, I know what you're saying, but... I'll take this guy and I'll kill him and I'll make sure my son becomes king. And we've already talked about this, but whenever you bow your neck to God and you oppose his will, listen to me, it never works out well for you. God's gonna do what he's going to do. But that's what Saul has said. My son is gonna be king. And if I have to kill anybody that's a threat, I'll do it. But I'm gonna establish my son, Jonathan, as king. And what Jonathan is saying here to David Listen, this to me was the moment where you're like, this is unbelievable. What Jonathan is saying to David is, David, you need to understand something. This is not about my kingdom. It's about the Lord's kingdom. This is not about me. He had the opportunity. Listen, if David dies, and it's not gonna happen because it's the Lord's will for David to be king, but if David had died, Jonathan would have been king. David's death would have just handed the kingdom to him on a platter. And basically what David is saying, I don't care what I want. This is not about me. This is not about my kingdom. It's about God's kingdom. And I will be faithful to the Lord's anointed regardless of what it costs me. There's no person. There's no perk. There's no elevation that you can put in front of me that would tempt me to be unfaithful to the Lord's anointed. Now, I don't think any of us can fully grasp the level of sacrifice that's being handed. None of us would know what it's like to be king. None of us would uh, have that opportunity. I was trying to think of a way to illustrate this, and I used something that I'm not sure if it's historically true. The the rumor was that in the height of Billy Graham's evangelistic ministry, that there was a coalition of Democrats and Republicans. Imagine that, a coalition of Democrats and Republicans, and they came together and they approached Billy Graham and they said to him, if you'll run for president, you'll run unopposed. Essentially, they're saying to Billy Graham, if you'll run for president, you can be president. Now, you talk about a temptation. 
to be the leader of the world's most powerful nation. And the rumor is that Billy Graham said, no, because I have a higher calling. What Jonathan is saying is, it's not about me being king. I've got a higher calling. And my higher calling is to be faithful to the Lord's anointed. You and I, uh, as we are faithful to, to Christ as we go all in with him, he requires us to lay down our lives much like Jonathan will do before David. But he also calls upon us at some point or another to go public. And that's what uh, Jonathan is doing here. I'll put myself out there regardless of what it costs me. And then in verse 10, then David said to Jonathan, who will tell me if your father answers you harshly? David is saying to Jonathan, how can you, how can you communicate me, to me the, the response? Because David's not gonna be there. He won't know. He, he'll have no way of knowing unless somebody tells him. And what he's saying is, how do you communicate to me the response of your dad without putting yourself in a bad spot? Don't you love David? In fact, David, what's interesting about this, when you talk about the covenantal relationship between him and Jonathan, David will always say to Jonathan, I'm your servant. David will always put the needs of other people, I'll not say always, there'll be occasion, he gonna goof up. But David is predominantly pictured as a servant who puts the needs of other people above his own. And so he's saying, Jonathan, I want to protect you. I don't want this to cost you your relationship with your dad. Uh, can you let me know without putting you in a bad spot? And look at what Jonathan said to David. Come and let us go out into the field. So both of them went out, in the, went out to the field. Then Jonathan said to David, the Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. So he says, God, you're listening here. I want you to hear this. I want you to see this. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if there is good feeling toward David, shall I not then make it uh, sin to you and make it known to you? If it please my father to do you harm, may the Lord do so to Jonathan and more also, if I do not make it known to you and send you away, that you may go in safety and may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. Jonathan is saying, David, don't worry about it. When the time comes, I'll stand publicly with you regardless of what it costs me. And listen, I'm so much of this, and Lord, help me if this is not what we're intended to see. But in so much of this, I see in Jonathan's commitment to David a picture of how we respond to the Lord's anointed, David's greater son, Jesus Christ. And when we trust in him, when we say, Jesus, I, I stand with you, I'm with you, it doesn't mean that we stand and we do it privately and we suddenly go incognito and we don't let the world know where we stand. Jesus died publicly for us. We are to be a people who, who profess him publicly regardless of what it costs us. Uh, this irritates me so much when you'll hear politicians, they'll, they'll ask about their faith, then they'll say, that's a private matter. Well, listen, not if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. It may be personal, but it's not to remain private. It's to be public. Those who confess me before men, I'll confess before my Father who is in heaven. <laughs> listen to me today. This, 
This is not just about politicians, though. This is about us. Can I just ask you a question? Listen, if you're gonna commit yourself to the Lord's anointed and say you're with him, then here's the question. Do the people that you work with know that you're a Christian? Listen, I'm not saying you gotta stand up and publicly proclaim the God's word, but they even know that you trust in Jesus? And listen, I'm telling you, if you make it known in a public way, it'll cost you. Not everybody's gonna like you. Listen, Jonathan is going to go public and it's going to put a wedge between him and his dad. It'll cost him a relationship with his, only, with his own father. Students, you're at school. Do your friends know? You say privately, you don't mind going to church and talking with your friends. But in public, when you're with your friends, do they know you love Jesus? That you're faithful to him regardless of what it costs you. Listen, make no mistake about it. Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace but a sword. Now he came to reconcile us with God. That that we have peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. But as it relates to our fellow man, in so many ways, Jesus told us on the outset, listen, you trust in me, you go public. There's going to be a lot of people who don't like you. It'll bring division. And even he says it, when you begin to preach the gospel, it'll pit father against son and son against father. And right here, we're seeing a division between a son and a father over what? Over how they view the Lord's anointed. And I tell you, boy, it's a painful thing when you trust in Christ and it creates a wedge between the people that you love most in your life. But listen to me, if any family member or friend, if any family member or friend starts to put you in a situation where you gotta choose, because some people will, you know what you say to them? You say to them, listen, you don't put me in a spot where I gotta choose between you and Jesus. Because I'll go with Jesus every time. That's Jonathan. Dad's gonna put me in a bad spot, I don't care. I'm with the Lord's anointed. And so he goes on. Um, Verse 14, I I highlighted the first phrase there. Listen to what he says, if I'm still alive. (laughs) John says, there's a good chance I'm gonna die over this. And he's gonna get a spear thrown at him. If I'm still alive, look at listen to what he says. Will you not show me the loving kindness of the Lord that I may not die? And there's covenantal relationship language all over this. He's saying if if there's 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 so many things here. We got we don't have enough time. We'll next week. All right, you got to come back next week. But he, here's what he's saying. Number one, there's a recognition in Jonathan that David will be king. Now, for us, we read this stuff and we go, well, sure, David's gonna be king. Everybody knows that. And everybody didn't know that there. And and David does not look like a king at this moment. He looks like an outlaw. He looks like a rebel. He probably hadn't showered for days. He probably hadn't shaved. He probably looks like he's a mess. And he even said it, I'm in a step of death. This guy's on the run. 
I think in David's heart, as I said earlier, I think there's a part of David that thinks, I'm not even sure if I'm gonna be king. I know what God says, but boy, it sure don't look like it right now. I'm probably gonna fail this deal. It's gonna be a miserable failure. I'm never gonna sit on the throne. But do you know who does believe that he will be king? Jonathan. Now, here's the question. We've talked a lot about this. How does Jonathan know? Now, I don't know. Maybe him and David, maybe David had talked about the whole incident with Samuel. We're not given any indication from Scripture that he did. But how does Jonathan know? Not only that he's been anointed, that's great. But how does he seem to have such confidence that David will be king? I'll tell you how. The Holy Spirit of God revealed it to him. The same way, how do you and I recognize Jesus as the Lord's anointed? Did we think our way into it? Did we, are we just smarter than everybody else and we were able to put all the clues together and realize that Jesus is king? No, I'll tell you, if you know Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior today, it's not because you were smarter than everybody else. It's because God in his grace peeled back the blinders of your eyes so that you could see Jesus as God's son and the only hope of your salvation. So Jonathan says, you're gonna be king. You will You will be king. And here's what he says. When you're king, will you not kill me? Will you save my life? Because if a king took over, if somebody took over from a royal dynasty, if somebody else took over, what was the first thing they did? They killed all their family. Killed all of them. That's what you do. Because some of them might be a threat. They might try to bring about a coup and reestablish the dynasty. And so you just wiped them all out. And what what Jonathan seems to be saying here in so many ways is because of my heritage of my sinful, disobedient father, I should die. Because of, listen to that, because of the sinful disobedience of my heritage, what I deserve is death. Does that sound like anybody else you know? That our spiritual heritage is what? sin and rebellion, and what we deserve is what? Death. I know I should die, but David, just because you're a covenantal faithfulness, would you save me? As I read that story, I couldn't help but think, you remember the thief on the cross? Thief on the cross next to Jesus? Jesus is dying, and uh, the other criminals, you know, making all these accusations against Jesus, and you remember the other thief says, do you not fear God? We're getting what we justly deserve. This man has done nothing wrong. And then he says what to Jesus? When you enter your kingdom. Now, how does that thief know that Jesus is a king? Because does Jesus at that moment look like a king? No, he's strapped to a cross. How in the world does this thief come to a knowledge that this man dying on a cross is actually a king? The Holy Spirit of God opens that man's eyes to realize he's innocent, he's a king, and he's got a kingdom coming to him. And you remember what he says? When you enter into your kingdom, will you do what? Will you remember me? The thief says, I'm not asking for a nice palace. I just want to sit at the back of the bus You're a king. I just want to know your salvation. That thief said, I'm a a guilty sinner. I deserve death, but I'm just praying that you're a gracious king that would save me. 
That's Jonathan. This is unbelievable. Jonathan is the prince. He has all the power. He has all the authority. And this outlaw, he's saying to him, you're going to be a king. When you do, will you save me? Listen to what else he says. Verse 15, you shall not cut off your loving kindness from my house forever, not even when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. I love this because what Jonathan is saying, would you... Because Saul, Jonathan's dad, he doesn't love the Lord's anointed. He hates him and wants to kill him. But Jonathan is saying, I love you. I trust in you as the Lord's anointed. And you know what else? So, so will you be kind to me? But not only to me, but to my children, to my family. We, we, what is the deepest desire for those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ that the Lord would save us, but then where does our mind go immediately next if you're a parent? And would you save my children? David is saying, I love you, and I want my kids to love you like I love you. Isn't that what we want for our children? That they would know the salvation of Christ the same way we do. And David is, John saved David, save me. And please, if you would, in your graciousness, would you save my kids? Because you, I know you're in this covenantal relationship and you'll be faithful. Do you see the picture that we have here in God's word in this covenantal relationship between David and Jonathan? We have a picture of the, the relationship that we have with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And when we come to trust in Christ, we, we, we make sacrifice, we lay our life down. And we can't help but be public. We, we make a public confession. Jesus said, go and make disciples. And the very first thing he told you to do is what? Baptize them. I want you to baptize them. Why? Because that's a public confession. I want them to go public. I want to know, will they, will they publicly identify with me? We have to be bold. Whatever environment we're in, God calls us to be bold, whatever the cost. And, and, then, and then we got to sacrifice, we got to be bold, and we got to expect opposition. That we'll, we'll be opposed. And, but it doesn't really matter as long as we're with Jesus, right? Uh, I... <laughs> As I say, say this, Abraham Lincoln said in the midst of, actually, somebody said to Abraham Lincoln in the midst of the Civil War, they said, I hope that the Lord is on our side. And Abraham Lincoln corrected them and said, no, 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 no. It's not that we want the Lord on our side. We want to be on God's side. See, that's our heart. It's not about asking the Lord to go with us. It's saying, God, we're going to be with you wherever you go and whatever it costs. Now, that sounds hard, doesn't it? You go all in, no matter what your position, even if you're a prince, like Jonathan was. It means you got to be willing to die and lay everything down. Not your kingdom. It's God's kingdom. It's not about what you want. It's what God wants. And you say, what's the other end of this? What do I get? I mean, it sounds like I'm giving up a lot. Well, what we gain on the other side of this is we commit ourselves to being faithful to God in a recognition of what he's done for us and what does God commit back to us? That he'll be faithful to us. 
See, that's the better end of this bargain because I don't know about you. When I think about committing myself to the faithfulness of God, I immediately think of all the ways that I have not been faithful. And the beauty of this relationship, of entering into a covenantal relationship with God, listen to me, entering into a covenant relationship with God on the basis of Jesus Christ, that relationship is not based on your behavior. It's not based on your emotions. It's not based on how you feel, and it's not based on circumstances. That relationship is based on the covenantal faithfulness of the God who saved you. I I was reminded of uh, Moses really briefly. I promise I'll get you out of here. Moses in Exodus 33 and 34, if you get a chance, go read it today. I was thinking of the covenantal faithfulness of God and this is, the, this is the passage that I looked to. There in Exodus 33, you remember uh, the people of God, Moses went and received the tablets, the law of God on the two stones tablets. He comes down and guess what they're doing? He hadn't been gone that long. They're already engaged in idolatry. Aaron says, we just threw the gold in, out popped this calf. We don't even know where it came from. It's an amazing deal. And here we are, we're worshiping this calf. And, and you remember Moses in frustration, he breaks the tablets, he goes back up on the mountain to commune with God. And he has an opportunity. I, you know, we, we have opportunity. I don't, I don't think, we, I don't think full, we fully grasp the opportunity that we have to commune with God wherever we're at. Through the power of the Holy Spirit and the work of God in our hearts. But Moses had an opportunity that the rest of God's people didn't get to know. He goes up on the mountain. He gets an opportunity to commune with God. I can't wait to talk with Moses about what that really, what that experience was like. But he goes up to talk with God and I think he's just in a, in a moment of intimacy and fellowship with God. He says, God, I want to see your glory. <laughs> I want to see you. And, and quite frankly, that's kind of the, the desire. We know Jesus, and I don't know about you, but I want to see him. One day we will, amen. But Moses says, I'd love to see you. I want to see your glory. You remember what? You remember what God said to Moses? Ain't gonna happen, brother. That's the Chad McDonald version. Ain't happening. I'll kill you. It would kill you. And so God says to Moses, you, you go hide yourself. Here's what we'll do. You go hide yourself in the cleft of a rock. You, you, you go hide yourself behind that rock and you hide your face and, and my glory will pass by. And, and once I pass by, uh, I'll let you see the afterburner. I, I, just, just the afterburner of my glory. I'll give you a little glimpse. But then God says to Moses, I'll give you something better than my glory. I'll give you my word. I'm not sure it's better, but he's saying to Moses, this is what you need now more than you need a glimpse of my glory. You need to hear about my covenantal faithfulness. The people of God had just been faithful. Moses isn't perfect himself. And God gives Moses his word and let this be an encouragement to you today if you know God through faith in Jesus Christ and you've entered into a covenantal relationship with him, this is the faithfulness of God. We're called to be faithful, but, but listen, primarily we're reminded of God's faithfulness to us and listen to what God says to Moses. He says, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious. 
Any of God's people want to say amen to that? Slow to anger. Abounding in, and there's that kesed. Loving kindness. Loyal, loving kindness and truth. Who keeps, listen to this, who keeps his kesed for thousands. Who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. What a beautiful thing to enter into a covenant relationship with God through faith in his anointed Jesus Christ. And to know today, no matter your circumstances, your emotions, or your feelings, the one thing that you can always count on, even when you're not faithful, God is always faithful. He will never let you down. Did did David follow through? On his faithfulness. Jonathan says if I make it through this deal. Will you not kill me? Well Jonathan's not going to make it through. He'll die before David ascends the throne. But he also asked him. Would you be faithful to my kids. My family. Will David be faithful to that? And you got to wait for the rest of the story. Let's pray together. Father we thank you. That you who promised are faithful. God, it's overwhelming to think of how gracious you are. God, help us to live in faithfulness to you. We sang it earlier, wherever you lead, we'll go. May we worship you with our feet. May we worship you with our hands and our actions. May we worship you with our heart. May we worship you with our mind. May we worship you and be faithful to you in our voice. In every aspect of our lives, may we be faithful. But God, no matter how dark and difficult the path becomes, more than anything else may we remember that you have promised and you will be faithful you will carry us home God I pray if there's anybody here today that does not know what it means to enter into a covenantal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ I pray that you would do for them just as you did for Jonathan just as you did for the thief on the cross and just as you did for every one of us who know you I pray today you'd peel back the blinders of their eyes through the power of your word and the power of the Holy Spirit I don't know what it was that triggered it today but I know this it will not happen apart from you and I pray today you would you would open their eyes to the glory of Jesus that he is God that he is the Lord's anointed, that he is God's Messiah. He's the only hope of salvation. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I pray that his glory and his beauty and his grace would be so overwhelming that they would run to him today and know his forgiveness and his grace and the, the, the assurance, the security, and the faithfulness of a God who came for them, loved them, and saved them. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.